five faces of fear. Every one of us here have some kind of fear. And as we move now into our fourth week on help, we know that we need help with the fears that come upon us in life. You may have heard that the number one fear that all people seem to have when they take the survey is a fear of public speaking. I'm overcoming that. But I'd say this, that over the last two years, I think that is such a silly fear. Because haven't we been challenged with the fears of reality, fears of COVID, fears of losing loved ones, fears for our own health, for the health of our children, our grandchildren? I mean, I believe that the fear of public speaking is taking a back seat way behind the reality of the fears that we have. Some fears are are grounded in your childhood. There's times when you and I encountered something that we didn't understand and therefore we gained this fear about having to be confronted by it. And some are big ticket items, some are small items. I had a small item a few weeks ago when my two daughters, two of the three daughters, and I were in Nominee, Indiana, a tiny little town that has a wonderful dinner and theater. And we were taking our nine-year-old granddaughter to this theater, and after the theater, there was a wonderful store there that had ice cream and all sorts of goodies. And so we're standing around as a family, we're enjoying our ice cream, and here they come, the bees. I don't like bees. I hate bees. And so they're coming toward me because of that. There's something about me that just attracts bees. And so I'm doing like this. You don't have to tell me. I know my daughters said it. They said, stop swatting them. You'll just make them more angry. My first thought was, bees have feelings? They're angry? You know, I don't like them. Why don't I like them? Because when I was very young, I was stung by a bee, and I had a reaction to that sting. And now here I am, an adult, and I'm still concerned anytime I see one coming. Yesterday, I opened up the trunk of my car to give something to my daughter. I closed the trunk, and when I got in the car, there's a wasp over here, and he's on the window. He must have come in through there. He knew I was going to speak about fear today. (laughs) And so I said, Jesus, I need that thing out of here. And I slowly rolled the window down. He kept climbing the window. And as soon as he got to the top, I went. (laughs) No, he flew out. (laughs) Didn't get him. Didn't get him. But all of us have fears. It's been around from the beginning of time. Think about some of the people in Scripture. Abraham. Do you know the story that Abraham and his wife Sarah were going through a country and there was a king And Abraham was so fearful of the king that he told the king Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister. He lied because of his fear. Then we pick up Jacob. Jacob, who had lied to his brother, had stolen his birthright, and now years later, he's coming back. And as he comes back to meet Esau, 
He is scared to death to meet him. He doesn't really want to have to deal with this. Or Moses, whom we talked about this summer. He had a great fear of Pharaoh, especially after he killed an Egyptian. And so he fled to get out so that that would no longer bother him. What about the disciples? The disciples were very afraid after the death and burial of Jesus Christ because they thought, since we're his followers, they're going to come after him also. They'll get us. They got him, they'll get us. So they were afraid. And then, of course, the classic one, Peter, before the crucifixion, when he denies Christ. Why? Out of fear. Out of fear that he would be arrested I mean, fear is a very terrible thing. Let me define it for you. Fear is a natural response to challenges of the unknown. It's a natural response to the challenges of the unknown. It produces a response of either fight or flight. One of those two things is going to happen when fear comes upon you. It paralyzes you. It can move you toward dread or desperation or panic. I've experienced it. I'm sure everyone in here has experienced fear at some time that you couldn't control. You didn't know what was happening. You didn't know how to deal with this. It can be a threat, real or imagined. And it'll keep you from being able to accomplish God's purposes in your life. Fear is the little dark room where negatives are developed. Isn't that a great line that someone said? I started thinking about that because I was trained in photography when I was an undercover agent. I did a lot of surveillance, and so I understood the camera. And when I went to seminary, they made me the campus photographer, and I not only had the joy of shooting a lot of pictures, but it was all in black and white, And they taught me how to develop those in a dark room. And there's nothing more exciting than looking at the negative that you've developed. And there it is. You shot that and you put it in and you do all the things you have to do. And and suddenly you've got something that you can't see, but it's on a sheet of photographic paper. And then you begin the process of putting it in to the different washes. And once it is made, it starts developing and you can see it. It just starts jumping out at you and you're excited about what you've accomplished. Well, let me tell you, fear can do the same thing. Fear can be inside of you and create a negative feeling. And if you let it, it will develop in you. And it will become something that controls you. You will become a slave to fear. It places inside of you this this negative feeling. And your behavior actually becomes physical. Do you know that your blood pressure rises? Your breathing rate increases? The body flows with blood from the heart to the extremities to assist you in fight or flight. So fear takes over. It's not something that we should take lightly in our lives. When fear comes, it's 
so controlling that your mind is occupied with the thought of it. Now, if you came here today, as some of you did, with some fear, something you're afraid of right now, I want you to think about that. If there's something you're afraid of right now, and the reason God has you here today is because he wants to release you from that fear. There is a way out. There is a way to dispel the fears that can control your life. There really is. There is help. But to do that, we need to go back to the beginning of fear. Guess where it started? It started in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam and Eve. He said, let us create in our own image. And he created the man, and from the man he brought forth the woman. And he had these two, and he gave them a command. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Subdue the earth. Have dominion over it. He placed them in this garden that you and I cannot imagine. This beautiful garden with all of the creatures everywhere around them. None a danger to them because sin had yet not entered the world. And he said to them, all of this is yours. And you can eat of every tree in the garden except for the one in the middle of the garden, the one that is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then God let them begin their life together, and he moved away from the garden. Then what happened? You know, Satan came into the garden to turn everything upside down, to destroy the work of God, to bring something into the world that is not natural to the world. Well, Adam and Eve, the Bible says, were naked and not ashamed. But then they eat of the fruit of the tree. And I love this, this statement when God says, Adam, where are you? Well, let's understand that statement. No one can hide from God. God knew where Adam was. God knows where you are. You can't hide from him. He knows everything about you, everything about me. And he sent his son to die for us, even though he knows everything about us. That's just amazing grace to me. But he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam responds in Genesis 3.10. Here's what he says. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That just doesn't make sense to me unless I dig more deeply into it. What was this fear he had of God? It wasn't the fear of knowing that God created all things, that God was the master of the universe. That was not the kind of fear he had. The fear he had was that he had done something that God said not to do. Eve did that and Adam failed to do what he should have done. So both passively and aggressively, they both did things they should not have done. And now they were afraid. Well, how did they come to the knowledge of fear? Because in this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's the knowledge of the potential 
also of good and evil. It's not just the knowledge of good and evil that rests on them now. It's they now understand the potential evil and the potential good. And they're going to battle back and forth and back and forth because of that. Now they must have understood that somewhere in that future, though they were the only two people in existence, that now they were not comfortable being naked in front of each other or in front of God. That's not from God. That's from Satan. And if you look at our world today, and you see where we are in the revolution of sexuality, you see the potential, the reality of the potential that Adam and Eve saw. So they were scared. So they covered themselves. Sin is the author of fear. Now I'm not saying that your sin causes fear. I'm saying that the sin that we all participate in in Adam and Eve, that original sin with which we are born, that is forgiven by Christ on the cross, that sin is the author of fear. And that sin, therefore, keeps us from fearing God because the kind of fear you want is a fear of God. And that is not afraid of Him. It is an awesome awareness of who He is and how much He loves you. He loves me. I know me better than anybody except God. And God knows me better than I know myself. He sees the end from the beginning. He has a plan. He has designed that plan. It's up to me to follow that plan. It's up to me to cry out to him, to depend upon him. Because sin is the author of fear, I need to understand sin and I need to understand fear. Because you see, my sinful nature can sustain me to the point that I allow fear. And I don't have to allow fear. Not to overtake me, but certainly there are times in life when you and I are going to be afraid because a condition will come up of which we have no control. Flying in an airplane at 30,000 feet over the Sahara Desert as the hamaton winds begin to blow and the plane is jumping back and forth and up and down. Don't you know I was afraid? I was scared. I don't want to die like this. You know, this is terrible. So I had that fear, but what did I do with that fear? I contained that fear in prayer. I acknowledged who was really in charge of this airplane, who was in charge of me, who was in charge of the winds. And I didn't let it overtake me, and it settled down, not because I prayed, but because I was no longer in fear of it. I released the fear because my fear of God is greater than any fear that can arise. But fears will come. You can't keep them from coming, but you can certainly keep them from overtaking you. And when a fear comes, it doesn't mean that you've sinned. Let me give you an illustration. Do you remember the day that Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and they're going across the lake? He's had a big day. So he's asleep back of the boat. And the storm begins to come and the waves are rising higher and the boat is rolling and rocking and the Bible says that they were afraid 
of what was happening. And they look back and Jesus is sleeping and they shake him. You know, they haven't sinned at this point. They have a natural fear of what these elements could do to them and they don't want that to happen, but they don't know how to control it. They wake Jesus up. What does Jesus say to them? He says, where's your faith? Whoa. And he goes, be still. The wind stopped. I mean, it's not like it settles like this. It goes from this to that. Now they're in a lake. And there's no wind. And the sky is beautiful. Now they're really afraid. Why? Because they moved from a fear of something over which they had no control to a fear of the one who controls everything. But it's an awesome respect now. Now they're beginning to see the kind of power that Jesus Christ has, the kind of power that our God has. Our God can overcome every fear in your life. But sometimes it's going to be up to you to wake him up in your life and say, hey, Jesus, you see what's going on? I need help here. Fear is not from God. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. I see that and I think of power, power of the Holy Spirit, of love, love of the Father, sound mind, have this mind in you which was in Christ Jesus. This is the Trinity. God has given us something to go against this spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. And it's an evil spirit. It's a spirit that was born in the garden. It's a spirit that was ushered in by Satan. Because that's the first negative expression we hear. I was afraid. So we have the perfect antidote to all the fears of our lives. Fear is like a mighty wind. Like those terrible Storms that we have seen recently in the United States that have come and have devastated things. That's what fear does in your life. But there's another wind that's so far greater, and that is the wind of the Holy Spirit. He who lives in you because of your relationship with Him, He will overcome all your fears when you yield to Him. Look at the contrast between what fear produces and what faith produces. Faith overcomes fear. Watch this. Fear wants to injure you. But Jesus is our healer, so faith in Jesus heals me. Fear wants to weaken you. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Fear wants to leave me in loneliness. But there is one who to me is closer than a friend, and his name is Jesus. Fear wants to leave me destitute, unable to function. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I live and I move and I have my being in him. Fear has the victory. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? 
Those are redundant questions. The answer is, I don't fear anything. I don't fear anyone. So when fear comes toward me, I just rebuke fear with my faith. It doesn't mean fear won't come. It just means I have a way to fight fear, and that is through the faith I have been given in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through that sound mind, and through the love that God has bestowed. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 125 commands of Jesus were given. They were directives. 21 of those were either stop fearing or don't be afraid. Of all the things that Christ said that are recorded in the Gospels, that phrase, do not be afraid, is said more times than any other phrase. To me, that means that God sees how much fear wants to come against us. A fear of the future. I don't fear the future because my God is in control of the future. And so if I release that knowledge to God and say, okay, God, so give me the strength to make it through this. Speak to me. Well, God does that. In Isaiah 41, there are five verses, 10 through 14. Hear the word of God. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid. You worm, Jacob, little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Five times in five verses, God makes a promise that he will take away our fear and he will deliver us. It's the voice of the Father speaking. There's a story of a Scottish pastor by the name of John McNeil who, as a child, would go to school and he'd come back and he had to come through a wooded area and it was getting dark by the time he was returning home and there were rumors of robbers in the forest and creatures in the forest and he was always concerned as he was walking home and one night he actually happened to hear a sound and he was sure it was something that was going to devour him. He had fear all over him and as he went a little bit further he heard the sound again but then the sound seemed to have a word it was saying, and he couldn't tell. And in fear, he continued to walk more slowly. And then he heard, John. And then again, John, it was the voice of his father. And he said, I ran to my father in the darkness, knowing that he would protect me. What a great illustration to know that our God will protect us no matter what. His fears were removed because he heard from the father. The Father has spoken. He's spoken to us in His Word. If you know His Word, you will find places then where you can call on Him and you just give Him back His Word and He will always respond. His Word never comes back to us without fulfillment. It never returns void. Faith overcomes fear. The greatest trauma 
I have had in the last 20 years happened in Nigeria. Some of you know the story. I've told a little of it before, but I told it from the standpoint of what others were doing. I want to tell you today this same story from what God was doing. My wife and I were in Onisha, Anambra State, Nigeria. We were doing ministry there with a pastor that now we have known for 20 years. This was probably 10 years ago. We heard, as we stopped to get something to drink, a rumbling of people, and someone came and spoke with our pastor, and our pastor said, we have to hurry and get my children from school because the Boko Haram, those pirates, those terrorists up in the north of Nigeria have come to the south, and they've gone in, and they're starting to kill children and kill others. I have to get my children from the school. And so we raced to the school in his car, and he safely got the children. And then we went back to the hotel where we were staying, and he said, I have to get you out of here. You have to leave the state because there is a rule that if you are of the Igbo tribe, you'll be fine here. But if you're not an Igbo, an African born there who is of the Igbo tribe, then our own Igbos are going to kill you because they don't know if you're part of the terrorist group or not. The police called and said, can we help you? He said, no, it would draw too much attention. I'm thinking, oh, please, let's have some cops. <laughs> but no, they didn't want to do that. So I got in the front seat and Tony was driving. That's our pastor. And Linda was in the back seat with another pastor who's now home with the Lord. And we started out. And I remembered this passage I just read to you. I remembered verse 10. Do not fear, I am with you. I didn't see him with me. I didn't hear anything. But I knew that word was allowed to penetrate my heart because we came to a roadblock and there was someone there who didn't want us to pass. And he was prepared to keep us from passing. Then I heard the next verse. I will strengthen you and help you. Well, Lord, now's the time because I need more of your Spirit's help. I'm looking at potential death in the face. What are we going to do? We even said to Pastor Tony, if we die here, just bury us here. Too expensive to send us back. Doesn't matter. And we were serious about that. That man allowed us to pass through. I don't know why. As we're going on, <laughs> I'm thinking as I was preparing this message, if I had known this song, don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. If I had known this song, I would have sung this song to Jesus. It was just published this year by Toby Mack. It's called Help Is On The Way. Just a few stanzas from it. It may be midnight or midday, never early, never late. He's going to stand by what he claims, lived enough life to say, I heard your heart, I see your pain, out in the dark, out in the rain, feel so alone, feel so afraid. I heard you pray in Jesus' name. It may be midnight or midday. It's never early, never late. He's going to stand by what he claims. I've lived enough to say. Help is on the way. But you know what? Help was on the way.
God was right there in that car with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Again, couldn't see him, couldn't feel him. But there's no way we could advance without God's blessing. And then the next verse came to mind. He who takes hold of your right hand says to you, do not fear, I will help you. He's having to tell me again because though I knew he was with us, fear was starting to mount up again because now we were coming up to face a man who had a machete. And we also saw a car beyond him that had been pulled over and a gentleman was being pulled out of there and bludgeoned. Fear was great in me, but he said, no, he who takes your hand, you know, I will, I will help you. I will take away your fear. God knows your infirmities. He knows your weaknesses. He knows us inside and out. He formed us and he saved us. Who else would you turn to if not God? And then God sealed it for me when I'm facing this man and he's looking in and I know he's looking right at me. And God says in verse 14, don't fear, for I myself will help you. I want to tell you about that sentence structure. If you came to me and asked me for help, I'd say, okay, I'll help you, or I can help you. I would never say, I myself will help you. You don't say that. We don't use the language like that. But God does. Why? For emphasis. He says, I'm not going to send another person. I'm not going to send an angel. I'm not going to send a program. I'm not going to send uh, a political structure. I'm not going to send anything. I'm coming myself. And when I heard that, I, you know, it's like, come now, Jesus. <laughs> Now's the time. And this man walked up beside our car, and the pastor rolled the window down, and the pastor said, you're doing a fine job. And the man said, move on. Here comes Jesus. <laughs> you see, only God himself can take situations and change them. He changes them through us, but he also changes them sometimes without us because he is so powerful. If you are a person of prayer, you know this. You know you're into who he is. Don't avoid God. You know, come to him now, seeking the deliverance from your fears and the slavery you have to him. Come now. Don't wait. I waited. I was 12 years old. I was sent to the Presbyterian Church every Sunday night to go to PYF, Presbyterian Youth Fellowship. I didn't like it at all. But there I was taught a catechism, a structure of question and answer. If you're from a Lutheran or Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. And one night, after this study, I'm on my bicycle riding the five blocks back home. And I had this feeling come on me that I now know was an anointing from God. It was a feeling of ultimate joy, of excitement to be alive, of wanting to know more about God. And I rode my bicycle home, and I parked it, and I ran upstairs to my bedroom, and I found a Bible because I didn't walk around with one. And I opened it up, and I read the entire book of Revelation, 12 years old. I couldn't sleep that night. I was so scared. <laughs> you talk about fear. 
It was a fear of God and a fear, and, and I wanted to know more. But I lived for 16 more years without accepting Jesus Christ. 16 wasted years. 16 years that absolutely contributed nothing to me, to my loved ones, to my friends, or to the society. Why? Because I refused to call out to God. And he has made himself available. You see, when Jesus approached the cross, there was no fear. There was pain. There was suffering. There was anguish. There was separation. But there was no fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. Jesus Christ is our hope. If you have a fear that you brought with you today, my prayer is that you will leave that fear here. Jesus is reaching his hands out to you saying, I will be with you. I will deliver you. Let's stand together as we worship the Lord and release our fears.